welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. Amen. Good morning. Good to uh, see each one here today. And uh, trust the uh, beginning of this new year has been a been good for you in the sense that um, you are trusting in the Lord and uh, looking uh, to Him. We want to uh, go back to Genesis again this morning, Genesis chapter 32, if you want to find your, um, find your place there. <clears throat> You can see the title there, A New Name for a New Man. And we're looking at the, um, the life and of this man, Jacob, and his family. And as believers, as we uh, can easily look back in our, our life to events in our life, to difficult times maybe that we've faced, even crisis points in our life. And as believers, we can see how that God has used those times in our life for our good. <clears throat> it may have been such a, a situation that brought you to a point of repentance and faith in Christ. Or it may have been some hardship that caused you as a believer to draw closer to the Lord and to fully yield your will to His. As we think about Jacob, we've seen the journey that he's been on. It's been a difficult journey for him. Uh, but God has been providentially working in his life. And you remember that it was 20 years before, if you've been with us in this uh, series, 20 years before God... Um, providentially worked in his life. Um, he had to flee from his brother Esau. And uh, he left his home there in Canaan to travel to the northern part of Mesopotamia to find the, uh, the, the relatives that lived there, hopefully find a wife. But God, in his grace, meets Jacob at Bethel in chapter 28 and allows him to see a dream of this stairway to, that leads up to heaven and these angels of God ascending and descending on this stairway. And God makes there to him these wonderful promises to Jacob to bless him and to bring him back to this the land that God had promised. And now as we come to chapter 32, Jacob and his family and all the flocks and the servants that, that God blessed him with are making their way back. They're, they're close back to the land of Canaan. They're in that, the hill country of Gilead, just east of Canaan, across from the, the river Jordan, across that valley over on the other side. Well, he's, he's got... Laban behind him finally <clears throat> and he must have been relieved to see Laban <laughs> leaving and, and going out of sight he's kind of crossed that uh, 
that part of his life is now behind him. But he really doesn't have opportunity to be very relieved because now as he's drawn closer to home, he's no doubt has Esau on his mind. Because when he fled, Esau was so angry that he intended to kill him. And uh, no doubt he's had that in the back of his mind all of this time, how this is going to be when he sees him again. And now it's been 20 years later, and he's returning home, and he must face his brother. But before he does, God is going to bring Jacob to a turning point in his life, a point of crisis that would change him so that, uh, that God would uh, be able to, um, to, to make of him the, the man he wanted, wanted him to be. And so we see this, this turning point in his life. And, uh, and maybe you can think in, uh, in your life of how that God has brought you to these turning points in your life. Uh, first of all, as a, as a believer, when we come to faith in Christ, that is truly a turning point, isn't it? We come to realize who we are in our lost uh, condition, our need of a Savior. We see Christ and His provision for us on the cross, and we turn from ourselves, from our sin, to him and trusting him and faith and believing that's truly a turning point but then many times as believers in our life there's turning points where we realize the lord's convicted us that we're we've gotten off the path we're drifting and we're just relying on ourselves and dependence upon ourselves and in our own way many times we can leave god out of our out of our lives out of our planning and god in his grace brings uh, situations into our life to turn us back to Him, independence and, and uh, faith in Him. And so we see, first of all, in this passage, and let's read together the first part uh, here uh, of this chapter. And we're going to see, uh, first of all, a life-changing fear that um, God's going to use in Jacob's life. Let's read there, chapter 32, beginning of verse 1. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, in the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus say your servant Jacob, uh, sorry, thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants and female servants. I have sent to my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, We came to your brother Esau and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. And Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the, other, uh, then the camp that is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the God who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that that I may do you good. 
I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds and steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with, for with my own staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother and from the hand of, uh, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers and the children." But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the seas, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he stayed there that night and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats and 200 ewes and uh, 20 rams, 30 milking camels in their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls and and twenty female donkeys and ten male donkeys. These he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, Pass on ahead of me, and put a space between drove and drove. And he instructed the first, When he saw my brother meet you, and asked you to whom do you belong, and where are you going, and whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, these belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my lord Esau, and moreover, he is behind us. And he likewise instructed the second and the third, and all who followed the droves, you shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face, perhaps he will accept me. So he, so the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. The same night he arose and took his two wives and his two female servants and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And he took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. We'll just stop, stop right there. We'll come back to that last part. But I want you to see Jacob as he's now left alone and afraid. The text tells us there uh, that he was greatly afraid. When he, when he hears the news about um, Esau coming, and uh, all of the all of the men with him, he's greatly afraid. Your fear can be a, a powerful emotion in our lives. It it has power to really overwhelm us. Uh, sometimes it comes on suddenly, and then sometimes it's, it builds up over time, doesn't it? And it usually accompanied by by worry and anxiety and thoughts of what may happen. But for us as believers, when, when fear grips our hearts, we can, we can turn our hearts and minds to Him, can't we? We can go to the Lord and remember His grace to us and His powerful working in our lives in the past. And we can, we can go to Him and teach our hearts to trust Him, teach our hearts to rest in Him. Some people have the wrong idea that trusting God means that um, that we just kind of throw caution to the wind, 
But, but that's not what trusting God means. Trusting God means that, yes, we, we are careful. We do plan. But in our care, in our planning, we're trusting Him. We're, we're not putting our hope in our plan. We're not putting our hope in our, our carefulness. But we trust in the Lord and uh, do what we can do. We, and it allows us to not fret and worry it allows us to, um, to live our lives with the peace that God gives us. Well, as Jacob makes his way through this highland area of Gilead, he has every reason to be encouraged, as we saw in the beginning, beginning there of the chapter. God has kept Laban safe, uh, or kept him safe from Laban, as Laban came with his uh, small army. Uh, God appeared to Laban, you remembered, and warned him not to harm Jacob. And, but Jacob now has come to this place. He's got an even greater concern than Laban. He's got his brother Esau uh, that, he, that he must uh, meet. And no doubt this has been on his mind. He's getting closer. He's beginning to get anxious about it. You know how we, we can easily get when, when the, something's unknown. And we can imagine the worst, can't we? Uh, we can make it bigger than reality many times in our minds. And so he's getting closer and he's thinking about this. And God comes to him in grace and gives him this great encouragement that we see in verses 1 and 2 of this revelation uh, that he allows Jacob to see the spiritual realm, the unseen realm of the angels. And as they, they approach this area, he allows uh, Jacob to see uh, these angels. And he says, this is God's camp. And he, and he names the place Mahanaim, uh, uh, which means two camps. And we don't really know why he called it two camps. Maybe He's thinking of his camp and the camp of the angels, or, or maybe the, the angels that he's allowed to see are like in two groups, two camps. This word camp is also used to talk about an army. And so maybe he, see, he sees these angels as two, um, two groups that are amassed. But this would have been of great encouragement to him. It would have, uh, it would have reminded him of... Uh, of the revelation that he saw before. And when, when I read this about uh, God allowing Jacob to see these angels, I, I, I went in my mind back to uh, the prophet Elisha. And you'll probably remember when on an occasion the king of, of uh, Syria was making raids upon Israel. And... Uh, God was revealing to the prophet Elisha what the king of Syria had planned to do. And so every time he sets an ambush or he sets a plan, uh, Elisha would tell the king of, of uh, Israel their plan, where they're going to be. And, and every time the king of Syria's plan gets foiled, <laughs> he gets defeated in, all of, in his raids. 
And so the king of Syria thought there's a, there's a mole in, in the camp. There's someone that's a, that's a spy who's telling what my, my plans are. And so he confronts his men about it, and they say, no, my lord, uh, it's Elisha who is telling your plans, <laughs> he's, who's hearing what you say in secret. And so um, he, he probably doesn't believe uh, this is possible. But in any case, he sends a great army. Uh, the, the scripture says that it's, a, it's horses and chariots, a great army. And that's in, the, in, in 2 Kings chapter 6. We see this account where in the night they, they go to this little town of Dothan where, uh, where, where Elisha is at, and they surround this little city, little town. And Elisha's servant, young man, wakes up. He goes out, you know, stretch, you know, look around. <laughs> and he sees this whole army around. You know, it runs back in to Elisha. Elisha, what are we going to do? And so Elisha goes out. He looks. And he tells his servant, Do not be afraid, for those that are with us are more than with them. And no doubt his, his servant's looking around and said, what are, you, what are you talking about? Who is with us? And Elisha prays, the Bible says, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened his servant's eyes, and he looked, and it says, the mountains were full of horses and chariots of fire around Elisha. Uh, what, a, what an encouragement that would have been to this servant to be able to see into... Um, this unseen world around us and God's working, God's provision, God's protection, these messengers of God, these angels that come and, um, and taking care of Elisha. Elisha wasn't afraid because Elisha was, by God's provision, able to see uh, God's hand, God, God's hand at work. And God calls upon us to also look and see not with our physical eyes, but with our eyes of faith, to see His hand at work, to see His providence, to trust Him, and to believe in Him. Well, when Jacob sees this revelation of the angels, he no doubt uh, would have remembered uh, the previous um, encounter of seeing the angels of God on the, the stairway up to heaven. And he would have remembered there the promises that God had made him that he would bless him and bring him back to that land. And, and so Jacob finds courage in that. He sends messengers to Esau. He communicates with, uh, with Esau with humility and with respect. And he, and he implies that he has gifts uh, to gain his favor. But when the messengers come back, uh, his worst fears realized. They come back with this kind of cryptic message in verse 6, we came to your brother Esau, and he's coming to meet you. <laughs> they may have said with hesitation, and there are 400 men with him. Can't you just see the, the countenance of, um, of Jacob, you know, just falling right through the floor? He's... He's devastated with this reality. We don't know what Esau's intentions were, but for Jacob, 
400 men coming with him could mean nothing but that he's coming to to uh, attack and to kill just as he had planned to do this 20 years before and so we see Jacob going to God in prayer this this great fear that he's faced with is has caused him to humble himself before God in prayer. In verse uh, 9 through 12, let's look again at that prayer that he prays. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who is with me, who, who, who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother and from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers and the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make you an offspring as the sand of the sea which cannot be numbered for multitude this is a this is a great prayer of jacob it's it's the first recorded prayer that we have of jacob praying he may have prayed before but uh, this is the first time we have record of it that is unless you count his vow in um in, in chapter 28 there where he kind of bargains with god about if you do this i'll do that kind of thing, but I see this really as his first uh, prayer. In this prayer, he, he recounts uh, the promises of God. Twice he does. He, he, he's as if he's reminding God of what God has said he's going to do. And, and that's not that God needs reminding, we need reminding. <laughs> and so when we, we pray, we ought to remember what God has said that he's going to do. He humbles himself. He, he says, I am not worthy. And he acknowledges the faithfulness of God to him. He talks of his steadfast love uh, to him. And he asks God for deliverance. Well, even though God had in the past shown to Jacob his power to protect him, and Jacob has not really come to the place yet of fully trusting God. Out of fear, he's, he's come before God and prayed for help and, and prayed this good prayer. But what, what we do see missing in this prayer is the prayer, Lord, show me now what to do. Uh, he's, he's prayed for God's help, but he doesn't wait for God to answer. He doesn't wait for God to show him his hand of deliverance. He, he immediately sets his own plan into action. And he has a clever plan. He, he sends multiple gifts of livestock to pacify his brother Esau. There's, there's up, upwards of 580 animals here. And he, and he divides them all up into different, uh, different groups the different herds with the different messengers, his servants go, and they go with this message, and he's, he's doing all of that to increase the impact of, of all of these gifts that are being sent. And in verse 17 and 18, he, he instructs these messengers, his servants, he says, when he saw my brother meet you and ask you to whom do you belong and, and where you're going and whose are these ahead of you, 
Then you shall say they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my Lord Esau, and moreover, he is behind us. And so here's Esau with his 400 men, and he sees this group coming, and he stops and asks them, you know, who are you? What are you doing? What are all these animals? And he gives them this message. You know, and, Esau, and Jacob's behind us, and these are a present to you. My Lord, you know, he comes with this respect, and well, fall in, you know, and he's, now he has to go a little slower because he's got all these animals with him. And, and so he, he sees in the horizon there, there's, there's another group coming. And he gets there and same message, you know, this is a gift from my, my, uh, your, your servant uh, Jacob and, and he comes behind us. And so they fall in and he goes on, sees another group coming. And uh, he says, you know, who who are you? And it says, you know, these are a gift of, of uh, yeah, I've heard that before, fall in. <laughs> and so he just happens again and again. And, uh, and so we see in verse 20 that Jacob's uh, plan here, uh, he says, for he thought I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterwards I will see his face. Well, his next actions, his next part of his plan really reveals the old Jacob. He, he's really looking out for, his, for himself. His self is still first place here in Jacob's life. Verse 22 through 24, he's come down to the, to the Jabbok River and uh, he sends the rest of the livestock, the rest of the servants, his family, and all the stuff, the Bible says, and everything else that he had. So he just he sends it all over, across, across the river, and he goes back on the other side by himself. And so if Esau's going to attack, he's going to have to come through all of this first before he gets to me. And so he's all alone. And I think that's where God wants him. They're all alone, in the dark, afraid, full of thoughts about what's going to happen in the morning. He's much like he was when he left. If you remember when he was on the other side there in Bethel, he's all alone, fearful, and God comes to him and shows him this revelation, gives him great promises. But now we see there is going to be this life-changing struggle that takes place. Notice verse 24. And following, and Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. And Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. And so Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. Uh, saying, For I have seen God face to face, 
and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Well, we see Jacob there on the, the, the other side of the river all alone, fearful. No doubt he's in the dark thinking about his big hairy brother and the 400 men that are coming. And he's just, you know, full of anxiety about this. And as he's there in the dark thinking about this, all of a sudden somebody attacks him. And he's, he finds himself in this, in this wrestle, this epic battle with this man. He doesn't know who he is. He, maybe he thinks it's Esau that's come to attack him. But he's wrestling and struggling with this unknown assailant. And the match that he's in was real. But it's symbolic of Jacob's life. Even before he was born, he was wrestling with his twin brother in the womb. And, as, and at birth, he's grabbing his heel. And he's struggling with him for the birthright as he, as he grows up. And he's struggling, as we've seen, with his uncle Laban. And he's struggling with his wives. But the one that he's been struggling with the most through his life is God. Jacob is this strong-willed and stubborn man. It's only been in the last few years that he's come to accept that if it were not for God, that he would have nothing. And he's come now to this place. Uh, his worst fear was facing his brother, but now he's in this battle, this wrestling match that just won't end. The Bible says that it went through the night until the till the the morning i can't i can't imagine how tired he must have been uh in high school i was on the uh, the wrestling team of our school <clears throat> and a match uh, that they had was was three two-minute sessions or, or periods <clears throat> and a wrestling match is just exhausting uh with that combat, that struggle, that exertion of strength is just exhausting. <clears throat> Before the wrestling season started, I'd, I'd already gone through the football season, which was three, four months long of exercise, running. You know, I thought I was in good shape. But the first year I, I joined the wrestling team, I realized that I wasn't that in shape. <laughs> it was a different kind of uh, exercise, a different kind of endurance needed for those wrestling matches. And Jacob, the text tells us that he has been wrestling with God. As amazing as that is, in Hosea, Hosea chapter 12, we, we learn that, the, that it's the angel of God that is strove with him. And uh, this, this angel is in the body of a man, but he was God. And when we see that in the Old Testament, almost all scholars agree, was a, a pre-incarnate um, revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, before Christ came to be born, His incarnation, 
uh, we have in the New Testament. He, he comes in the appearance of a man in the Old Testament, and he's referred to as the angel of God. And because in, in those passages, he's, he, he's not just an angel sent from God, he's referred to as God, and he speaks as God. And so in those situations, um, that is why he's believed to be an incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he's God who's come, like he did with Abraham, in the appearance of a man and speaks as God to him. Well, what is God doing? Why a wrestling match with Jacob? I believe God is bringing Jacob to an end of himself. He, I believe he's bringing Jacob to a place, a point where he's no longer trusting himself, depending on himself, but he's now ready to trust God, to, to totally depend on God. Jacob, because of his fear of Esau, has been, is willing to give up everything. He sent his, his livestock, he's he sent everything, even his family on the other side of the river, and he's there all along by himself trying to save himself. But God wants Jacob to surrender himself to God, just like he does with us. He doesn't, he doesn't need our things. God wants the surrender of our hearts to him, to acknowledge him as Lord. He is our master, and we are his servants. And God wants us to come to that point in our lives where we're, we're not clinging to our own way, to our own will, to our own wisdom, but we're clinging to Him. And so Jacob is going to be shown just how weak he is. Jacob is no match for God. But God is engaging him in this wrestling match, holding back to pro prolong this, this struggle. To teach Jacob. I, I can remember when the boys were little. Uh, enjoying having wrestling matches. They loved, they loved to, to have the wrestling matches. And I would hold back my strength. You know to, to wrestle with them. And play with them. And, and sometimes to teach them who's the boss. You know. Uh, sometimes they would you know, get a little bit too, uh, too, too eager. And I would just you know put a put an arm around their neck or pin them down to the floor and they say, stop, 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 enough, you know. And they would, they would love doing that. And, and in a way, that's what God is doing with Jacob. He's teaching Jacob that he's the boss, that he's in control. And he's withheld enough strength that it's a struggle for Jacob. And Jacob, he's not giving up. He's not saying uncle. He's not saying enough, enough. He just keeps coming and he keeps struggling. And, he, and, he, and it's almost daybreak. And God, so to speak, says it's enough. And he touches Jacob's hip. And the scripture says that his hip joint, uh, hip went out of joint. And it didn't say that he struck him on the hip. It said he touched him. Now, I'm not a doctor, but I've, I've, been, I've read that, um, understand that 
for hip joint to, to go out, uh, or for hip to go out of joint takes great force. It's not something that normally happens. It, it might happen in a car accident or being a pedestrian, being hit by a car or something like that. It's a great impact to cause that to happen in, in a normal, healthy person. That just doesn't happen normally. Even in, even in sports, uh, with impact sports, it's a very rare thing to happen. I don't think I've ever known of that happening, but it probably has. But in any case, God touches his hip. Uh, this, this man that's wrestling with him touches him, and he's left crippled. Uh, hip out of joint. You're, you're not going to be wrestling anymore. Uh, but Jacob is... He's holding on. He may have suspected before that this was not a normal man, you know, after you know, struggling all the night. But now he knows that this is no ordinary man that has a hold of him. And he's no doubt heard the stories of how God met with Abraham and the appearance of a man. And he may be thinking, could this be such a man that has been struggling with me? But now we see Jacob, he's reduced to weeping. He's reduced to clinging on to this man. And he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to let go. He, he, he wants a blessing. He says, I won't let you go until you bless me. In Hosea chapter 12, verse 3 and 4 there, the, the prophet recounts this life of Jacob. And he says, in the womb, he took his brother by the heel and in manhood he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. And then God asked Jacob, what is your name? Jacob is pleading. He's holding on to his leg maybe. He's, he's saying, please bless me. And God looks at him and says, what's your name? God didn't need to know what his name was. God knew what his name was, but he wants <clears throat> Jacob <clears throat> he wants Jacob to acknowledge what his name represents in his life, a life that has been self-willed, a striving heel grabber. That's been Jacob through his all, all his life. And <clears throat> God is calling upon Jacob to acknowledge who he is, what he's been like. God tells him in verse 28, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Well, this name Israel mean, means God fights. God fights. And uh, God wants that to be the new realization for Jacob and for the nation that would bear his name to remember that God fights for them. But what about the statement that Jacob prevailed? What, what does that mean? It certainly doesn't mean that Jacob in his strength prevailed over the angel of God. <clears throat> no, it means that he in his weakness prevailed. When he came to the point of weeping and clinging to God in his weakness, he prevailed and God blessed him. <clears throat> Tom Constable in his uh, notes, it says, This event was a turning point in Jacob's life because he finally realized that he could not succeed simply by manipulation and trickery. 
He recognized his need for God's help and turned to him in desperation. Another author, Ken Hughes, writes, The day of failure through power was over, and the day of success through weakness had begun. This author also quotes another, another uh, writer, Bergman, and says, or, and writes, Jacob, now Israel, prevailed when he came to the end of himself. His weakness birthed strength. His defeat wrought victory. His end was his beginning. And then lastly, Alan Ross writes, to be successful with God meant that he had to be crippled in his own self-sufficiency. Well, Jacob, in, in a real sense, is a new man. And God has given him a new name. And that would, name would, uh, would remind him in the years to come that, um, that he is to trust God. And the nation who's, who's first hearing this story, the nation of Israel, would be reminded to remember that it is God who fights for them. And the, the touch of God would, would change Jacob. And, and leave him with a limp. He would, he would remain with this limp, but the limp would remind him of his weakness so that he would depend upon the strength of God and the power of God to fight for him. And so he's bringing, bringing Jacob to this point of, of stop struggling, Jacob. Stop manipulating. Stop trying in your own power to accomplish things and learn to fight in God's power. Strive in the grace of God and the strength that God gives because God fights for you. As the next chapters reveal, Jacob has got a lot of growing to do. The old Jacob will often show up in his failures in the, in the future. But Jacob has seen God's face and now he's ready to see his brother's face. And we see that play on words through this, this section, this, this looking to his face or seeing the face of God or seeing his brother's face. And that's something that is highlighted there. And, and the change that's brought about in Jacob's thinking. Well, we're not so different from Jacob in, in reality. We often only turn to God when we get to a place of desperation. Many times we, we depend upon our own strength, our own ability, and instead of living day by day in dependence upon God and His grace. Remember Paul's words, his own testimony. He said, when I am weak, I am strong. God didn't remove this physical element that, uh, that Paul had. And uh, in 2 Corinthians 12, he, he writes about that. He prayed for its removal. And God said, my, uh, my grace is sufficient. And Paul says, I would rather have weakness in, in myself so that I could live in the grace of God. And he writes also in 2 Corinthians 4, he says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. The jars of clay are our bodies, the weakness of our bodies, like a fragile, inexpensive jar of clay. And this knowledge, this treasure is the knowledge of the glory of God that comes to us through Jesus Christ. 
And Paul says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Well, has God been wrestling with you? Have you been wrestling with God? Have you been resisting his will? This text comes to us this morning. This message comes to us to admonish us to surrender our wills to him, to trust him. Don't be like Jacob and waste so much of time, so much of your life and experience so much difficulty doing things your own way. The Lord Jesus Christ came to earth to fight for us. He fought with, with, against Satan's temptations there in the garden and lived a sinless life on earth. And he, he fought Satan at the cross and gave up his life to pay the price for our sins. And he rose again in victory so that we, all of us who put our faith and trust in Christ, can be saved and follow him into that victory. John 1 John 1 5 or 1 sorry 1 John 5 verse 5 we read the words who is he that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God the lord is still fighting for us and he still comes to us the offer of grace through the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would come and humbly put our our faith in Him, we can have the victory. We can stop the struggle in our own flesh and live in the victory that He has won for us. And as believers, we we often uh, we often forget, and we often start our day with our strength thinking that we're going to do this and we're going to do that and never a thought that I need you today, Lord. I need your grace today. And so this is a call to us to, to be reminded of our weakness, lest we be found fighting against God, lest we be found struggling in our own strength, that every day we would uh, be awakened to the reality of our need for Him our need for His strength and His grace. Father, we do pray that in our lives that we would not wait for tragedy or we wouldn't wait for difficulty before we would turn to You, but that day by day we would live in that dependence upon You and that realization, Father, that we are weak. We read in our story how Jacob was left with this limp uh, to remind him of his own weakness. And Father, many of us have scars that we remember, and troubles that we can think on and be reminded of, of our own weakness, our own stubbornness. And so I pray, God, that uh, this morning we'd renew our hearts and minds to you. We'd renew our commitment to you, to, to live for you, to trust you, to go forth into the battle in your strength. And in the victory that you've won for us, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.